Finally, go ahead, first of all, open in a word of prayer. Alright, Heavenly Father, um, thank you again for your son Jesus and his death on the cross and resurrection. Thank you for dying for our sins, but also we thank you for giving us new life and giving us, restoring us to your original intent for creation that was to be made in your image. And we can do that through Jesus. Father, we thank you for the folks that have gone before us. As I was studying, was edified to know the people that have gone before us in this area, proclaiming your message, your gospel. And we pray that as we learn about them today, that we would be inspired to do likewise in our own spheres of influence. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, though, it was a little long, and I did that because our first week was just such a short amount of history that I covered. I really just covered about a year or two of George Fox's life. But last uh, week, we where we ended was a, a split in Friends theology. Uh, first of all was this grumpy-looking guy, Elias Hicks, and uh, he had a very liberal view of theology, so, so you know that that's nothing new. <laughs> in his time, the Great Awakening with John Wesley, there was the holiness movement taking over the American continent, and Elias kind of said, Phooey, we're Quakers. <laughs> and to him, Quakers meant everyone followed just a spark of divinity within them. He wouldn't even call it the spirit of Jesus. Um, but he felt like that's what Quakerism meant to him. And uh, he kind of threw out the scriptures. Well, there was another guy named uh, Joseph John Gurney. And he was a little bit more friendly, excuse the pun, <laughs> But uh, he said, no, I think this holiness movement is exactly what George Fox was after. Now, again, this was about 150 years after George Fox. And so um, um, George Fox was really into personal piety, matching up with correct theology. And uh, John, uh, Joseph John Gurney said that friends had always, um, they'd always appealed to scriptures for their beliefs. And so he says, there's no reason to throw out the scriptures. That's exactly where we get all of our theology. And so and he really played well with others. He was a well-known traveling minister. And, um, but with all these groups that were influenced by the holiness movement, he was really helping them out and felt like we don't have to separate ourselves. We can be Quakers and Baptists and Nazarenes and so forth. And so it is John, Joseph John Gurney is known as the Orthodox Friends as you go into history, and they really see Elias Hicks as separatists of Friends. They're what they would call Hicksites, and this guy's in his movement are called Gurneyites. But um, it is also called Orthodox Friends, so they're the Friends proper, if you get my idea. And then there was a third guy named John Wilbur, and there was no picture of him I could find, but uh, John Wilbur saw the Gurneyites as an overreaction to the liberal guy, the Hicksites. And so, as I said last week, there's like three overreactions here. You had Elias overreacting to the holiness and the, the John Wesley movement, and then you had Joseph John Gurney kind of overreacting to the Hicksites and said, you know what, we are following scriptures. Well, this guy, John Wilbur, he said, no, let's not forget about the primacy of the Holy Spirit. He says, let's not put the Spirit's leadings below the Bible, but let's let the Holy Spirit trump the Bible. Now, it's important to realize that Wicks did not disbelieve in the Bible. He didn't throw out the Bible, but he wanted to make sure that his group and the group that followed him was seeing the Holy Spirit as the primary leading force in a Christian's life. 
So that's where John Wilbur, and as I said last week, many believe that Wilbur and Gurney just were misreading each other, like they really could have gotten along, but they didn't. And uh, so that's, and also though I should say Wilbur and his following, uh, I didn't find any pictures of them today, but they, they have a more overt, simplistic, and plain style living. If you went to one of their churches, you might think they were uh, semi-Amish because they have the old overt clothing and, and all that. What I really want to do this evening is get from this mid-1800s splits of Quakerism to, to generally today, but also I want to look at Woodland French Church specifically. Why are we here? How did we get here? And then if I have time, which I think I do, I'll talk a little bit about polity, um, of how churches are set up and what the yearly meetings and Quaker institutions, if you will, look like. And then next week we'll look at faith and practice and theology and doctrines and distinctions next week. Um, I have been making you known for you the resources the last two weeks, but if you're just new here, I've listed those resources and those things I've given you. A lot of what I'm talking about today comes straight from this book, which is really good. We have about three copies in the back uh, in the library. It's a garden of the Lord. Very interesting. So just so you know, for the duration of this time, I'll be using the term organ yearly meeting, but that is the exact same organization as Northwest Yearly Meeting, which is what we're a part of. We just changed the name. I think it was actually back in the 60s or 70s when they changed the name, even though we'd always had churches from Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. So, westward migration in the United States had some peculiar effects on Christians. Unlike uh, Christian groups who migrated together, like the Amish, or such, others migrated out of, obviously, economic necessity or homesteading, and many Christians, when they got out west, they got displaced um, from their affiliations, and, and, you know, back then, especially denominations, if you were a Presbyterian, you were only a Presbyterian, that sort of thing, for a lot of people. But it meant a loss of church affiliation. Others did find their nearest church, and they didn't care what it said on the door. If they went inside and heard what was preaching, if it sounded like it came from the Bible, or they could agree with, they would start attending. Quaker pioneers, especially if there were numbers of people that went out west, yearly meetings would send missionaries and traveling ministers to them. They often came to visit, um, no matter when they were going west. From the early, early eastern coast going out west to Iowa, they would send missionaries, and then eventually yearly meetings were planted and so forth. But before the Civil War, friends were showing up in the Oregon area in 1847, so actually just single-digit years after all these splits started happening. Two brothers by the name of Seth Henderson and, or Seth and Henderson Llewellyn, they brought 700 grafted fruit trees and shrubs by oxen over the Oregon Trail. <laughs> And they established a nursery. They're real big now. At least I think their business is big, fruit packing and, or fruit industry and stuff. But they established a nursery near Milwaukee, Oregon. They happened to be Quakers. They were very anti-slavery. Uh, they were believed to be the first Quakers in Oregon. From here on out, again, I just want to let you know that we're talking about evangelical and Gurneyite friends. I don't think any of the friends who came out to Oregon were ever Hicksite or liberal. Um, at least... Not on that day. <laughs> um, by the early 1850s, there were other families showing up, and they had last names like Bond, Winstone, Strouds, and then Comforts and Mills. And I know, still know of Comforts and Mills uh, today in the yearly meeting. I believe 
And there was a few folks with the last name Mills who pastored early on in Woodland Prince, and we'll meet them, or meet them a little later. Back in the 1850s, though, as early as 1859, um, London Yearly Meeting, London, England, commissioned a couple to go and minister to the scattered friends of Orkney. Robert and Sarah Lindsay, Gurneyite friends again, they showed up, and it is believed that the first friends meeting for worship happened in Oregon at a home for a guy named George Stroud. And then so they, this couple went to Eugene, they traveled around a bit, they held public meetings. Some attended, were, were attended even by the governor of the Oregon um, Territory and maybe state by that time. Um, after eight months of visiting friends, though, this couple went back home to London. Five years later, in 1864, a Ohio Friends minister, Rebecca Mendenhall Lewis, she moved to Portland. Her home became a stopping place for friends who visited the Pacific Northwest. As a side note, but a relevant note, Newburgh, Oregon, was founded in 1869 by a German immigrant named Sebastian Brutcher. He named it after his old home in Bavaria. So that is, a, yeah, 1888 Newburgh. That's what it looked like. So, one year after 1869, on June 11, 1870, Honey Honey Creek, Iowa Monthly Meeting recorded these minutes. So actually, I went out and found there's an old picture of in 1899. I don't think they had that building in 1870, but that's the Honey Creek uh, monthly meeting. If you ever attend our business meetings and you you never know what's going to go down in a history book somewhere, so because Pam takes minutes from our business meetings. But on this day, June 11th, um, 1870, 148 years ago, the minutes stated, our beloved friend William Hobson informed that he believed it right for him to stand resigned to visit, in the love of the gospel, some of the people west of the Rocky Mountains, by appointing meetings or otherwise, with which this meeting fully united, and he was liberated and encouraged to attend to said serve as best wisdom may direct. Hobson was concerned that many of the scattered friends in the west were being lost since they were so disconnected from friends, he really wanted them to remain friends. So Hobson, he boards the transcontinental train one year after its existence. He rides to California. He stays a few months, I believe, in San Francisco, and then he takes a stage, and he goes up to Eugene, Oregon. By March 3, 1871, he arrives there. He visits lots of places in the Northwest, from Portland to Walla Walla to the Palouse country and the Willamette Valley. He holds lots of meetings with scattered friends, and then, so he got there in March, by June, he returns to Iowa. Hmm. He seems to have gotten discouraged. Four years later, so here's the creepy guy that we're talking about. <laughs> Four years later, Hobson travels with a guy named John Bond, in, and by June 16, 1875, he makes it again. He seems to make more contacts this time around. He holds more meetings. I was reading Ralph Beebe's book, which is what I'm telling you a lot from, and... Uh, it made me laugh because on this second trip, Ralph Beebe writes, As in his previous trips, previous trip to the Northwest, he traveled by steamer to Walla Walla area, but returned in a few days apparently disillusioned with the Palouse country. And I laughed because I lived in Moscow and I didn't think too much of it 
the Palouse area either. <laughs> but, any case, unimportant. Hops in all of his contacts, he eventually settles on a farm in the Chehalem Valley, and he buys a farm for six bucks and 25 cents an acre. I don't know how many acres it was. But the first regular meeting was held in the new Chehalem Valley community on March 19, 1876. Six years after that first meeting at Honey Creek, Iowa, that released Hobson for work in this area. Two months later, um, Hobson writes in his diary. He says, I have been impressed for more than six years that some settlements of friends ought to be formed in these parts for the good of the race of mankind. That it was laid on me to work for it as the Lord should direct and make way for it. I came once to this field of labor for a while and went home, but I found I could not rest in Iowa with the Lord, which continued to grow heavier upon me, but I must go again when I could. I hope now our dear friends at Honey Creek, Iowa, or elsewhere, will not try to hold to any one place, but will rather possess missionary spirit enough to gladly let some suitable members to go and form a settlement here and make it a garden of the Lord. That's where Ralph Beebe got the name of his book. A year later, in 1877, some of the worship services at the Chehalem Valley were being attended as many 70 people. Uh, meetings were being held in people's homes, so it got kind of uncomfortable in some places. The first Friends meeting on the Pacific Coast was officially established June 1, 1878, when the group organized at Chehalem Monthly Meeting. And this is... That place in 1892, it's a different building, but that's the, it's also called Newburgh Friends now. But opening, they, they had minutes that stated on June 1st, 1878, Samuel Hobson, I don't know if that was a relative of him, and M.N. Wood were appointed for clerks for the day. Chehala Month Meeting of the Religious Society of Friends opened and held this first day of the sixth month, A.D. 1878, by the authority and the pursuant to the direction of Honey Creek Quarterly Meeting. And as I said, you might have guessed 70 people was a bit much for some homes. They started meeting in a building owned by a local, but by 1880, they bought a meeting house that was 32 by 48 feet enclosed, the first friends meeting house in Oregon country. Around 1891, 1892, they built this church, and their older building was is now, I believe, their cemetery, or where some part of the cemetery that they have now. Newburgh, to this day, Newburgh Friends still meets there, and you can look them up on the, on the internet later, and they still have this primary, this is the middle of their church, still, and, uh, yeah. Um, if you're interested in how this more and more so grows, uh, again, there are two to three copies of this book I've been looking at in the library, but suffice it to say, by 1893, that's the inside of Newburgh Friends, I believe that's at a yearly meeting, in 1890. I kind of wonder if that's Hobson because of the beard, but I don't know. <laughs> but um, his vision was coming to fruition in about 15 years. There were already seven churches besides Newburgh by 1893. And um, uh, in 1886 is when it changed to Newburgh monthly meeting instead of Chehalem Valley. But also there were churches in places called Alder, Middleton, Rock Lake, Washington, Marion, Oregon, Salem, Oregon, and Scotts Mills. Scotts Mills is still in existence today as well. August 8, 1891, Oregon Yearly Meeting is formed uh, with the blessing of Iowa Yearly Meeting, which is where they originated from. 
Going to take a step back real quick, though. So as Hobson came out to Oregon, this is around the same time all those splits were taking place, the Orthodox friends, uh, the Gurneyite friends, they made an agreed-upon statement. This is kind of unusual because friends up to this point had been largely, I'm not saying entirely, but largely non-credal. They never had uh, statements that they would center around. Um, but uh, when Hicks left the Orthodox movement, many friends felt it was necessary to have a statement, a declaration of who friends are. So by September of 1887, there was a conference in Richmond, Indiana, and a declaration was made by 95 Quakers, representatives of all Gurneyite Quaker yearly meetings, and these included meetings from Indiana, um, New England, New York, Baltimore, North Carolina, Iowa, Canada. And so it's actually in our faith and practice in Northwest Yearly Meeting, if you want to look it up later, but and you have access to the entire faith and practice online. You just go to, I think, northwestfriends.org. You go to resources, and you'll find it. But... Um, it's a basic declaration that you would probably see in many catechisms or books of discipline or church manuals. Most notable under the Richmond Declaration, though, are its view of scriptures. The Richmond Declaration states, It has ever been and still is the belief of the Society of Friends that the Holy Scriptures of the Old and the New Testament were given by inspiration of God, that therefore there can be no appeal from them to any other authority whatsoever, that they are able to make wise into salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. The scriptures are the only divinely authorized record of the doctrines which we are bound as Christians to accept, and of the moral principles which are to regulate our actions. No one can be required to believe as an article of faith any doctrine which is not contained in them, and whatsoever anyone says or does contrary to the scriptures, though under profession of the immediate guidance of the Holy Spirit, must be reckoned and accounted a mere delusion. <laughs> so, this is really a declaration stating emphatically that Quakers, or at least the Quakers in agreement to the Richmond Declaration, that the directions believed in as Quakers are contained in the scriptures. And any person, whether Christian or not, were to espouse doctrines clearly in disagreement with scriptures, we're not Christian. So this is kind of a declaration to the Hicksites, stating that they were wrong. And as the words specifically that states, there can be no appeal from them to any other authority whatsoever, as well as whatsoever anyone says or does, contrary to the scriptures, through under profession of the immediate guidance of the Holy Spirit, must be reckoned and accounted as a mere delusion. So those are pretty declarative sentiments. And we're for... Um, many Quakers in their day, and even in our day, those were fighting words <laughs> to some Quakers. Uh, nevertheless, they were made in 1887, and by 1902, a collection of yearly meetings formed a broader group called the Five Years Meeting. And among these yearly meetings was Oregon Yearly Meeting. The same year that it was founded, the, the Five Years Meeting was established, uh, Oregon Yearly Meeting joined, so I'm guessing they heard about it and wanted in right away. That was in 1902. I want to back up six years, though, to 1896. A few folks from Iowa, Kansas, and Nebraska area who were friends moved out to a small little settlement called Woodland, Idaho. And uh, there's Woodland in 1900. That's the schoolhouse, and there's some horses and buggy. So, um, they weren't the first settlers. The Quakers were not the first settlers. The earliest came, I believe, 
three years before 1896. In 1900, a meeting was organized, a Friends meeting was organized, that was in 1900, starting to meet in homes. The first pastor's name was Benjamin White, and the first Sunday school was being held in the home of a man named Jason Kellum, who was a blacksmith, and his wife Clara was a midwife. Christy just told me that Jason's the Kellum place is over by the McIntyres, or they're on the McIntyres land. I, I don't think the place is still standing, you know? No, okay. And um, Jason and Clara had the first child born in Woodland, 1897. Sadly, they had that, that same child died and was buried in Woodland two years later. I don't know what happened. Jason and Clara moved to Canada for a time. When some of their kids got older, Jason died in Canada. But Clara eventually moved back to Woodland, and she lived with her daughter, I think her name was Myrtle, until Clara passed away in May 20th, 1941. I took a picture today in the cemetery, that's Clara, that's their tombstone out there in the cemetery. But Woodland Friends was meeting pretty often, however, by 1920, Woodland's Friends meeting was laid down. I don't think, I don't know what died out. I think people moved away. Some people moved away. There was one woman named Mrs. Alice Sanders who kept praying that the Lord would send someone to revive the work of Woodland Friends after 1920. I'll give you a cliffhanger. So that's where we're at right now. We'll return back to the Northwest Yearly Meeting. So we have Woodland Friends in 1920 in hiatus, but there's a faithful lady praying. What will happen to them? We'll find out. Meanwhile, it was post-World War I era, and there was this growing interest, even among so-called Christians, into a naturalist interpretation of the Bible, a more liberal view on things. Oregon Yearly Meeting had been receiving uh, papers, a periodical that the Five Years Meeting put out called The American Friend, and also um, in those magazines, in many of the communications between Five Years Meeting and Oregon Yearly Meeting, there was a detachment of any sort of evangelical or Christian maturity or personal growth emphasis. Everything was about social um, activism, and some articles suggested even questioning the Bible. No articles seemed to emphasize teaching from Jesus and so forth. So by 1924, Oregon Yearly Meeting gave five years meeting basically this ultimatum. Um, you can read all the nitty-gritty stuff in that book. I was just going to make it more general for you, but... By 1926, despite assurances from higher-ups, five years meeting, nothing seemed to be changing. The articles kept on getting worse. So Oregon Yearly Meeting pulled out. And soon afterwards, other yearly meetings followed. They were not part of five years meetings anymore. As for Oregon Yearly Meeting, though, Ralph Beebe writes, the evangelical friends in Oregon appeared to be moving from other Quakers and toward the conservative churches, such as Nazarene, Free Methodist, and Baptist. With that, though, B.B. notes that evangelical Quakers of this sort still remain distinctly Quaker because they still have emphasis on spiritual communion, spiritual baptism. Uh, they, they have The pastor's role is always more minimized than other denominations, and the way Quaker meetings are ran by consensus. So those are all still distinctly Quaker. Uh, the breaking away of more conservative and evangelical churches from five, year, five years meeting paved the way for another association called the Association of Evangelical Friends. Again, still in the evangelical orthodox view. So for folks from Oregon Yearly Meeting were actually kind of originators and founders, as well as other folks, if I read the book right. 
when Evangelical Friends Association formed in 1947. And to this day, we're still part of that organization. We joined in the 60s, and now it's called Evangelical Friends Church International, but we're, we're still part of that. Oh, that's where it just turned out. We're still part of that organization. Um, so, Northwest Yearly Meeting is part of this association, and that association is more of a, a blanket affiliation. It's not really more of a denomination. If you have your page with you in your in your um, outlines, I think it's the second page right after the uh, the timeline, talking a little bit about polity. Um, if you remember last week, I handed out a sheet showing the splits of friends and the organizations that um, that kind of descend from those splits. Uh, as I included in your your, out, your packets about understanding friends, polity, and structure, I think the best place, though, to start in that sheet is to, first of all, understanding yearly meetings. That's the second uh, tier. Yearly meetings are called such because they meet annually. So this would be, in the Baptist terminology, a convention, or in the Nazarene and Methodist terminology, a district assembly. And so even in Quaker terminology, uh, to differentiate from the name of the denomination, yearly meeting, and then from the actual thing that we do every year <laughs> and have a meeting, we sometimes call that annual sessions <laughs> of the yearly meeting. Um, yearly meetings then are, of course, regional. They can consist of a few churches. They can consist of lots and lots of churches. I want to say ours right now has 55 or less, I think. Um, um, we'll talk about that in a few. But yearly meetings all have their own faith and practice, kind of their book of polity, structure, committee laws, doctrine, and so forth. And then we all have committees and boards exercising different parts of combined ministry that we do. Our, our yearly meeting has a university. We also have a few church camps. We also have a few missionaries ourselves and still do. Yearly meetings then oversee local churches, like is what we're a part of. I'm just going to use that term because it's mostly normative, although they have been called monthly meetings. Um, and I should say that some local churches still might have the name meeting in their name. I believe Woodland Friends Church, whenever it was founded, was called Woodland Friends Monthly Meeting. And that's the name it used for a while. And I don't know if that's the official name still or if we've officially changed it to Woodland Friends Church. I don't know. Local churches, um, though, whenever you, whenever you become a member, we hand you out stuff about our yearly meeting. We tell you what the faith and practice is of our yearly meeting. Um, because we want you to let you know that we're a part of a bigger fellowship. And then uh, the Northwest Yearly Meeting is also a part of a bigger blanket association called Evangelical Friends Church. Now this is kind of confusing, because if you come out of a large denomination, let me just tell you, I came out of the Nazarene denomination, and the Nazarene denomination was international, and if you went into a Nazarene church in Florida, or in Oregon, or in Arizona, you're going to find that they all have the same manual, they all have the same, um, the same faith and practice, if you will. The association that we're a part of is not a denomination, because we still have our own faith and practice in the Northwest Yearly Meeting of Friends. It is an association, though, because all the yearly meetings that are part of Evangelical Friends Church do have similar thinking and similar doctrine. And um, for like right now, uh, Evangelical Friends Church International is an association that has these follow, following yearly meetings or regions. 
So uh, Evangelical Friends Church is in Africa. There's a Rwanda yearly meeting, a Burundi yearly meeting. They're in Asia. They're also in Europe and Latin America. And then in North America, there's Alaska yearly meeting, Evangelical Friends Church, Eastern Region, uh, Mid-America yearly meeting, Southwest yearly meeting, Northwest yearly meeting, Rocky Mountain yearly meeting. And then Evangelical Friends Church has an associated missions arm that we support missionaries through, EFM, Evangelical Friends Mission. That's an association that we're a part of. And this is really helpful because suppose a Northwest Yearly Meeting member or leader or pastor, they want to they go somewhere, they put their resume out, they would probably feel comfortable going to other yearly meetings that Evangelical Friends Church uh, is currently associated with. And then actually I got an email here a while back from our superintendent saying that Alaska Yearly Meeting had three churches that wanted people to do a like a one or two month stay to just pastor to them because they don't have any pastors. Alaska Yearly Meeting is part of Evangelical French Church Yearly Meeting, and they have a different faith and practice than our denomination. However, because they're part of Evangelical French Church, it's probably not too different. Um, does that make sense? Kind of, <laughs> maybe. Um, and oftentimes at our annual sessions, we, we would see uh, visitors and representatives from other yearly meetings. And also, our yearly meeting will sometimes write epistles or notes to other yearly meetings and say, hey, we met for our annual sessions, we covered these things, what are you going through? That sort of thing. So that's that's one way that we connect with one another. Another association that I'll make mention of is what five years meeting became, and that's called Friends United Meeting. Um, it says it's centrist, like as in that, that it's a little bit more liberal than, say, the Evangelical Friends Church. One thing that's interesting is I was looking at all their yearly meetings, and um, Indiana yearly meeting just had a split, kind of like Northwest yearly meeting friends. And Indiana yearly meeting was the conservative group, and the folks that left formed a new group called the New Association of Friends. However, both Indiana yearly meeting and the New Association of Friends affiliate with Friends United meeting. <laughs> so that gives you an idea that they're a little bit more open, a little bit more broad than, say, what we're um, a part of. And then there's Fringe General Conference, which I don't even think is a denomination. They really just do social activist stuff, and they come from the Hicksite people. And they talk about interfaith relationships, and that's all. That's all I'll say about that. In 1920, Woodland Fringe Church was closed down. Let me see if I can get this to turn on again, because there's a nice picture I'm going to show you. <clears throat> Apparently not. It's too hot or something. Well, maybe you'll get to see on the computer afterwards if you want to. But in 19, uh, somebody was praying for us after 1920 when the Woodland Church went down. In December of 1930, 10 years later, a man named Paul Mills came and he visited. He had concern for the work here. He was from the Oregon Yearly Meeting. I looked in Ralph Beebe's book. He had an index, and so I looked up um, Paul Mills and see if he talked about him anywhere. And he did, and he talked about Paul Mills quite a bit in two or three pages or two or three uh, sections. And each time he was talking about Paul Mills, Paul Mills seemed to be related to church extension. He wanted to plant churches. He wanted to grow the yearly meeting. And um, right after Oregon Yearly Meeting left five years meeting at the annual sessions of 1928, 
they were wondering and hoping that even though Oregon Yearly Meeting was going to be a little bit more independent because they weren't part of this association anymore, they were hoping that they were still going to grow, that it wouldn't hinder their service out in Oregon. And Ralph Beebe writes this in his book about um, the annual sessions of 1928. He writes, one observer described the Sunday afternoon meeting. So this is probably a Newburgh French church. That's where they held their yearly meetings then. And it said, with tears and with Holy Ghost power, the plea went out for prayer support, for financial help, and for others willing to join them in this Herculean venture, venture of faith and vision. And he writes, the spirit of William Hobson, so that was the original guy that came out, the spirit of George Fox and other Quaker names, really came over that yearly meeting session, so they're resonating with these former Quakers. Young people from that large auditorium began to arise and join the tiny group on the platform. There was hardly a dry tear in the building as the cheers and, and as the chairs in the choir loft quietly filled with future and present leaders of our yearly meeting. Among those names was Paul Mills. And then, he's, and then this guy went on to say, A new generation was born, a generation of young leaders that helped to make the words outpost and outreach and evangelism and revival and church extension thrilling words for the great Northwest during the next 20 years. With tears streaming down his face, Chester A. Hadley, which was the superintendent, arose that first afternoon to challenge the yearly meeting to the depths to get behind and support these young leaders of the church. Chester A. Hadley was the superintendent of Oregon Yearly Meeting from 1930 to 1940, and from records I looked at today, he was also a pastor for a year at Woodland Friends while he was superintendent. So, 1939 to 1941. And then about 10 years later, two folks named Benny and Winnie Puckett <laughs> came out here, and they were pastoring from 1949 to 1951. One guy might know them personally here. <laughs> but what happened at the yearly meeting was only two years before Paul Mills came out to Woodland. After his sh uh, short stay in 1930, they officially called him back to, hey, would you come back and pastor here? And he pastored from 1931 until 1935 due to complications. Uh, his wife had health problems. But he accomplished a lot in that stay at Woodland Friends. As soon as Mills was here as pastoring, there was an immediate interest to see the church become officially established as a monthly meeting and affiliated with the Oregon Yearly Meeting. Now, again, it had been an independent Quaker meetings from just the Quakers who moved out here since 1900. There was a hiatus between 1920 and 1930. However, in October of 1932, there was a lease for the property that they're sitting in right now given to the church. Uh, lumber was donated from local mills as well, and the building was starting to be built. Now, some of us remember September 11th because of 9-11, but if you want to remember 9-11 for another day, September 11th, 1933, the Woodland Monthly Meeting of Friends was formed <laughs> with uh, 19 resident active members and four associate, which means members younger than 18, were in the charter membership of this meeting. It was not until June 11th, 1941, so I guess that's seven years, when the first meeting was held in this building, because it was being built in that time. Again, there was a lot of lumber to be purchased and seasoned and cut, materials to be gathered, funds to be paid. A lot of that nitty-gritty stuff is in that Woodland Remembered book. Do any of you have that? Uh, so we have a few back here if you want to see them. But um, 
even having the services in this building by June of 1941 still allowed for more to be done. They were meeting in an empty building quite a bit. And altars, an altar rail was made, pews were purchased, woodwork was stained, a new pulpit was made by a guy named Ivan Sanders, who I think he's also buried out there, and he gave it to this church. And on April 21st, 1943, after purchasing it, there was a bell that was rung <laughs> on Easter morning. And, um, and then on August 20th, 1943, one Everett Craven delivered the message for dedicating uh, this new church. And I, I looked in the back of the woodland, remembered it never said he was a pastor, but Quakers are known to have folks within the church to get up and give messages <laughs> that aren't necessarily pastors. So that seems like a good place to end tonight. Um, dedication of Woodland Friends Church. Now you know kind of where we come from. If you've been here these past three weeks, you hopefully have got a bigger picture of where we come from. You've met George Fox, Joseph John Gurney, William Hobson, Morgan Year the Meeting. We didn't have any scripture this week, but I did read from the Richmond Declaration, which had a scripture in it. <laughs> but um, next week will be I'll make up for it because we're going to be looking at all the faith and practice and doctrines and distinctions of the yearly meeting. So that's where we'll be.